I last spoke in 2013, so there's a, quite a bit of um, stuff that I've talked about then which I've very deliberately left out. So there are other things I can talk about, but I'm going to try and focus on the very new stuff. So let's get started. Um, the, uh, as you know, obesity is a big problem. And uh, the, the latest news is that they are predicting that uh, obesity is actually going to be a bigger problem than undernutrition, uh, malnutrition in the underweight area. Um, and this makes headlines all around the world. And this is an, an Australian paper. Kate Orbison is one of the medical journalists at the Sydney Morning Herald. But this is just there for an example. Note the uh, child has its head chopped off. That's not what I'm talking about today, but that is a distinguishing feature of news media coverage of overweight and obesity. This stats from the same story basically saying obesity is getting bigger. Some say that it's plateaued in um, developed countries and that it's still growing in um, other countries, developing countries, um, and there might be some genetic reasons for that. That's outside my area of expertise. Um, what's interesting about this story is that it's focusing on boys and girls and in my previous research I've noticed that the actual age and gender of people affected by weight as an issue is often not included in the story and if you think about it from a semiotic point of view the less personal information there is about the person the less likely you are to be uh, engaging with those people as people and the more likely you are to be able to th thinking of them as a stereotyped group, what you might call lumping. There are, um, and it helps to make a, a notional division between us, the non-fat, although of course I am overweight, um, and the fat, and there are other issues about how weight is portrayed. But I thought it was interesting that this focused on boys and girls, um, because there is a whole thing in, in media where um, Children are inherently more newsworthy because whatever's happening to children almost certainly is not their fault. Whereas blame can be very easily laid upon people of size because we make assumptions about what drives obesity. But children, you can blame their parents and a lot of media stories do that. And of course that's very widespread in public. So just some other stats. Um, basically two thirds of adults in um, developed countries are overweight or obese um, and the numbers vary each every year or so a country says we are the fattest nation in the world and they're only the fattest nation <coughs> in the world because they've got the most recent stats so we keep overtaking each other um, this gives you china uk usa and australia and the numbers are basically you know if you look at the numbers i think the most important social message is that obesity is not a minority issue. Overweight is not a minority issue. Two thirds of the population are overweight according to clinical standards. And that's a lot of us, but we're treating people of size as them. And by, in order to do that, we're separating off the very obese from the rest of us who are merely overweight or mildly obese. Another framing that's very important to bear in mind is that, so first of all, you kind of, isolate the problem of weight as um, being something that is, belongs to or is responsible for uh, by very large people as opposed to the merely slightly obese and then you say that there's this huge burden. So they're talking trillions about the burden of disease, uh, burden of obesity on the world um, and that of course is demonising of people of size. Now <laughs> some people think obesity is very simple, eat less, move more, 
and the problem will go away. Now, there's two things. One, we know that doesn't work because we've been doing the eat less, move more message for some time, and obesity is growing right up to the, I think, the genetic potential. Stan. Can I just ask you, is this the Australian government's adaptation of... The this is the foresight one. Yeah, and the Australian government's using it. Um, no, I think this is probably not Australian government. The, uh, the <coughs> ARC thing is to acknowledge the funding of my research. Okay, thank okay, you. Okay, good question, thank you. So this is the foresight map, and I will zoom in a bit, but I think it's ironic that the media section is actually shaped a bit like a liver, because that's one of the areas of um, side effects of weight gain and poor nutrition and under-exercise. Under that is really being neglected by the news media. It's another story, but I did account... And in about 10 years of the major newspapers in Australia, there were five stories about fatty liver disease. Anybody know, can anybody guess what the prevalence of fatty liver disease might be? 40% of the UK. Yes, well in Australia we have about 24 million people and there's said to be 5 million people with fatty liver disease. Now why are there only five stories? Another story for another day. Let's zoom in a little bit and see if we can um, get this. So we've got media consumption, availability, Passive entertainment, socio-cultural valuation of food, that is important. That kind of undermines my next argument, but we'll get to that in a second. Importance of ideal body size, social acceptability of fatness, obesity is a disease, peer pressure and culturation. And then over here we've got exposure to food advertising, which I think is a point of pressure that really needs to be explored far more. TV watching, it's sedentary, and just sitting there absorbing all these ideas. And I think that's about it. Anyway, so... It's not just eat less, move more. It's very complicated, and the media is recognised as part of the obesogenic environment. I think there's some things missing from this diagram. Um, as I said, social, socio-cultural valuation of food is there, and I think that's you know the tip of an iceberg because you know we were we were interviewing uh, 46 members of the public of different weight categories, and uh, this was the qualitative. Uh, audience part of this study which I'll explain about a bit more and we had some trigger materials including a picture of a large person with their face showing a large person with their face not showing a before and after pair of photographs weight loss before and after and then um, a headless fatty story about how obesity is killing us and the one where the face is showing is a jolly bloke standing like this holding a pie with a big smile on his face and we asked the audience members to comment on these news stories. And one guy said, we said, so how do you feel when you look at this picture? And one guy said, I feel like a pie. And I thought, okay, this is so obvious, and advertisers know this, but I haven't studied advertising formally. A pie is an advertisement for a pie. So everywhere you see people eating, and indeed smoking, but everywhere you see people eating and drinking, all those enormous French fries you see on the bus shelter advertisements, they're all saying, eat, 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 or drink, 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 drink. Anyway, so yes, media affects our valuation of food. It also affects our understanding of what actually counts as food. Um, but I think there's a bit more subtlety here that could be explored, and that's where my project exists. So we're looking at the discourses transmitted through the news media, and then the power of media effects. So these are my three main areas of theory. I play with a few others. I'm having a bit of a late-onset Foucault thing, but I'm not talking about that today. So framing, Entman's framing version comes from Goffman and Bateson, and basically he says, when the news media choose what to tell you and what to ignore, you are defining something as a problem, 
you are identifying causes, you are attributing blame. This is a very important part of how framing works. And you're also pointing to particular solutions and very likely ignoring or neglecting other solutions. So that's framing theory in a nutshell. The gender setting has two main parts. The more news coverage, the more prominent it is, the more likely the public is to think about it. Um, McCoons and Shaw have demonstrated this and their followers have demonstrated this over and over again, particularly in politics. But we know that what's on the news media agenda is going to be on the public's mind. And then they've developed an, ad an additional thing called attribute agenda setting, which is where the aspect, some aspect of the problem is more prominent um, and that is also higher up the mind. And that's where it overlaps with framing. And semiotics, that's a whole paper in itself, basically saying when we look at the pictures, um, it used to illustrate um, stories about overweight and obesity and inactivity. We are actually learning to understand a problem in a particular way. The most important thing is that the heads are often not shown in stories about obesity. There are lots of media logic <coughs> reasons for this. But of course, I think that it's um, unethical journalism and that it dehumanizes people of size. It allows us to divide us from them, even though actually us is a big part of the big weight issue. Um, and it's just not, not good. It's not good behavior. Here's an example. Um, so the media captivate and immobilize physically. For example, um, I'm not necessarily presenting myself as a piece of media right now, but my slideshow is a kind of medium. We are all sitting down except me, and this is um, the normal situation. I had a student in my class a few years ago who had terrible back, and she used to stand at the back of my class, and it was a real eye-opener because it made me realize how programmed we are to sit down in these situations in the movies, um, uh, at home watching television. Eating's more natural, I think, but uh, certainly at the computer, we're all chained to our computers for work these days, and we can't get up. So, that's what I mean by captivate and immobilize. We're gripped by the content. Game of Thrones, episode one, two, three, four, you know, we, we, we're stuck there. Um, and so that, that's physically depriving us of movement time. Um, they, the media shape our understandings of nutrition and of body size. They're a wonderful channel for advertising and food and drinks that we never ever need to eat or drink. Um, they uh, discussed framing before. There's a neglect of the problem of inactivity, although there's been quite a lot of new um, news media coverage on the dangers of sitting and the controversy over whether actually standing is any better for you. And as I said before, media can demonize people with a weight problem. It is important to think about media logic and how journalists work. I'm, I'm not going to talk about that in great depth today, but. I acknowledge it. I've been a journalist for over 15 years of my life. There are pressures, particularly today, the digital disruption is changing the news media environment a lot. Um, but journalists do have their own training, their own values, their own professional expertise and practice. Um, and there is a clash of cultures, which I'll discuss in a minute, with health professionals. And obviously, when we critique news media coverage, it's not enough to say they're doing a bad job. You have to ask yourself, well, what, what powers are shaping the way journalists do their job? And of course, there are lots of vested interests, big food, big drink, big soda. They're all trying to shape the news media and the social media discourse in order to continue to fool people into thinking that it's OK to eat and drink those kinds of foods. So over on the right, we've got um, 
the clash between evidence-based medicine, which is an underpinning concept of public health, and news values. They are not the same thing at all. Um, and nor are science and clinical gold standards. There are, this is a, one of the clashes between medicine and the media. Um, and then, of course, there's people who are trying to promote health that are up in a market full of people who are trying to sell things that are not good for your health. The media do get it wrong sometimes. Usually you can correct them and they'd, they'd like to know sooner rather than later. Uh, framing, everybody has competing frames. We don't just have the media logic frames, we have competing frames. Um, and we've done agenda setting earlier. Chronic disease is not a sexy news topic as illustrated by my discussion earlier about fatty liver disease being almost invisible, even though there are five million people with that in Australia and 40% of Britain, thank you, Stan. Okay, so um, this just takes you a bit further into that. News values are really important for journalists. They, they have an understanding of what the public wants. They now have data telling them what they want, although I'll make the point again later that you cannot click on a story that is not there. So all that data about who clicks on what, what's viral, it all depends on what's there. It cannot tell you anything about what's missing. Deadlines are vital. Um, when you're dealing with the media, as you probably will in the future, don't say things that you don't want published. I interviewed somebody once about something, genetically modified something or other, and they said, oh, it's Frankenfood, and I said, you beauty, I'll be using that. Um, and then uh, journalists do adopt frames. They do transmit frames that are presented to them by other people. There's millions and millions of pounds and dollars being spent on what we call information subsidy. Uh, that's, I think, Gand or Gandhi. Um, information sub subsidy is basically saying, journalists are busy, let's give them what we want them to publish. And if they haven't got time to critique it or get another point of view, they're going to be publishing it. Um, urgency and we want stories. We really, as journalists, we want stories. And that is why public relations are very good at providing ready-made um, interviews or even little bits of video footage with pre-done interviews. Over on the other side, we've got accuracy, importance, evidence-based, the privacy of the patient, dignity. Incremental science is obviously a problem for journalists um, because we want to push the researchers into saying what they have found and not spend any time thinking about the limitations of their study. Um, I think that's probably enough. Or oh, once bitten, twice shy. If, you, if somebody has been interviewed by a journalist and they didn't enjoy the process, then they're going to be wary of journalists. And that's a problem for journalism and it's a problem for the public because we need to know what researchers are finding out. And I think, for example, I was discussing this with one of my co-researchers, Ben Smith of Monash, the medical journals are great at putting out public relations uh, material. They write little news releases, they send advanced copies of the journals to leading journalists. I don't think the physical activity journals are doing the same. So there's a bit of a mismatch there. Um, these are some different models outside of journalism. There's the biomedical model, which is talking about BMI and hip weight, hip waist ratios, excuse me, um, nutrition, inactivity, genes in the environment and it's seen as a correctable health problem. Two things have become better recognized recently. One is that myth that everybody thought, you know, when I starve myself to lose weight, my metabolism slows down, and everybody said, oh, that's rubbish, just eat less, move more, it'll be great. Now they've said, yes, actually, your metabolism slows down. And the other thing is there's much better recognition about how when you lose a lot of weight, your body is programmed to regain that weight, and it's a big uphill battle. Um, 
but there's still widespread um, I don't know stigma and discrimination and the feeling that you know if only people would just pull themselves together they, they could work harder and their weight issue would go away and then there's the identity and moral which is saying you know we should consider um, the health at every size movement is saying we should consider how to be more healthy without focusing primarily on weight loss or what weight size you are and of course fat rights, fat acceptance and fat activism. There's a bit of um, the formation of groups of people who are saying look you know stop treating us badly because of our size, it's terribly sizist and it's you know it's doing our heading literally and um, Alexander Brewis Slade who talked here in 2013 and may possibly have been back since then, she's done some fantastic research showing that the stigma and discrimination actually makes you more fat by several very recognisable uh, socio-biological pathways. So her work's well worth looking at. That's um, Alexandra Brewis Slate. Um, and the, I went to the Fat Stigma Conference a couple of years ago, and there was some really interesting stuff there about, you know, how stigma manifests itself. And then we've got the backlash, you know. Um, if we talk about obesity, we're going to make everybody anorexic. Um, Campos has said there's an obesity myth. The BBC published a story by somebody called Dr. Mann, sorry, I've forgotten her first name, saying, you know, there is no obesity crisis. So there's um, a whole lot of competing discourses. Anyway, as I think I've defended my motivation for studying the media, um, and the ARC, the Australian Research Council, also supports it by with their money. So. They've worked out that, yes, the media is important. But you know, here's a little example. Um, this is the number of adults who say that they, in America, that they're getting their news about how to prevent serious disease from the news. So um, that's one justification. This is the name of the, the, the uh, project, Changing the Media Diet, Investigating the Power of the News Media to Prevent Obesity. It's a bit of a grand title, but we are trying to um, use our analyses of journalists and news content and audiences' responses to think about new ways of discussing obesity and inactivity um, in the hope of moving on from this simple message that if you eat less and move more, the problem will go away. So we've done um, analysis of television and newspaper. We've done interviews with journalists who cover health news. We've done qualitative interviews with 46 members of the public from five different weight categories. But what I'm going to talk about today is um, a survey that we just completed in February um, of more than 1,000 Australians. It's representative of the Australian population, and we asked them about their news consumptions, how much attention they pay to health news, their attitudes to obesity and inactivity, their beliefs about health risks, and their attitudes to news coverage. And then at the end of the survey, we asked them, what is your height and what is your weight, which provoked some interesting responses. Quite a few people said, I didn't consent to this, or none of your business. So even though it's completely anonymous, I have no access. I cannot de-identify the responses. People were still very sensitive about being asked about their BMI. But I do want to do some statistical analyses of the relationship between where people are on the size scale and how they understand the problem and how they evaluate the news. This is just to show you the relationship between the distribution of age in the survey and age in the Australian Census 2011. I'm not going to go through the stats, but you can take it from me and I can show it to you again later. It was representative of age, it was representative of gender, 
It was representative of postcodes, so that's um, Australian Capital Territory, New South Wales. Next one is Queensland and the Northern Territory, Victoria and Tasmania, South Australia, Western Australia. So those are the eight areas of Australia. Okay, this is completely new. I made this slide yesterday, um, and I finished it this morning, and it basically tells you uh, where you get your news. Now, there's, you know, the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism does some fantastic work on this. But I wanted to have my own data so I could link it to other aspects of the survey. So, online, internet, social media. Yes, that's where people are getting their news from. Television, still huge. Newspapers, poor old newspapers. And I'm a committed newspaper journalist by, by training and experience. Radio and podcasts, still going strong. Um, named news organisations, that's like News Limited and the Sydney Morning Herald and The Guardian. Um, public service, um, this is the Australian Broadcasting Corporations. Quite a few people from Australia watching the BBC, um, SBS, which is our special broadcasting service, which is aimed at meeting the needs of people from a variety of um, linguistic and ethnic backgrounds in Australia. Other people, that means actually I get my news from other people. I don't do any primary news watching or listening myself. Quite <coughs> a few people said they weren't a news consumer, which not too surprising. Um, can, I, can I ask, for, for, the, for the previous slide where you put um, named news organisation, what about if they got it online from a named news organisation? Well, very good question, and that was one of my little problems uh, between yesterday and today, was how do I handle that? I do have a, 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 um, a greater breakdown list if you oh. want to see it, but um, yes, the way I did it was it was a free text box, so if it wasn't a drop-down menu, they typed in whatever they wanted. Oh. And some people said, you know, internet, BBC, The Guardian, and that would be just internet. So if they said online or internet or social media, and the first words in their free text response, then they go in the top one. Um, and then this one, if they said The Guardian or The City Morning Herald or News Limited or News.com, that's when it got separated out from that. So, um, and it's hard to tell, you know, did you read The City Morning Herald in your, you know, did you get a real newspaper in the mail this morning or did you go to the City Morning Herald? They didn't tell me, so that's what I've said right about. Good question, thank you. Okay, so the, 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 the other core piece of information I'm going to talk to you today is a new analysis of four questions which were, what do you like about how the media covers overweight and obesity? What can be improved in the way overweight and obesity covered. What do you like about how the media cover inactivity and physical activity and what could be improved? So those are the four questions that I'm going to focus on from now on. So what do you like best about the media coverage of overweight and obesity? And I'd like to draw attention to this great big rabbit over here. Nothing. I don't like anything about it. And that was quite a big wodge. 53 out of these 100 people. I haven't analysed the whole 1,000 yet because that's a big job and I've been frantic. But I, I looked at the first 100 to get these stats together. So the 53 on the right are positive. They said something nice. We invited them to say something nice and they said something nice. And these are the positive comments and they've, we've done them by theme. So they like the fact that it raises awareness. Um, they like the fact that it challenges me to be healthier or promotes health. 
They like the way that it's real and it shows real people. So there is some recognition that real people are actually presented in the media. Um, they like the fact that it's inspiring um, and that it's helpful. It puts out there that you're not alone and there is help. These are direct quotes. That's why I haven't fixed the grammar or the punctuation. Um, solutions, ideas about how to solve. Now, only three of these 53 comments say that the news actually helps them in that way. It might inspire them, but it doesn't necessarily tell them how to go about solving their problem. Um, the other list is, so they too much cooking and baking and food adventures in TV. So funny to have cooking shows on every channel, and then when, when that's finished, the weight loss shows come on. Um, it is possible to reduce weight if done correctly. So there are some of the, the ones that didn't get lumped together in a theme. And this shows you how the positive comments are distributed. So raising awareness was recognised as a positive aspect of the news media. When we think about inactivity and physical activity, um, the, uh, the people who said nothing, 31 people said nothing at all. So that was quarter of the people said they didn't like anything about how obesity and overweight was covered. And 31 people out of 100 said they didn't like anything about the way physical activity is covered. Um, these are some of the things where they did like it. Um, inspiring and encouraging. It tends to motivate me to do something about my own lack of activity. I mean, inactivity, according to the stats, is as deadly as excess weight. It, it is killing millions of people around the world. We all need to be more active, and we are structurally deprived of activity. Um, it raises awareness. It promotes physical activity. It gives you information. It gives you ideas of what to do. It's involving and engaging, makes people think, and we have the other categories here. It targets all ages, it's re relevant to all people, um, it tells you that it's prevalent in activity, gets the message out, etc. Something about yoga. Yoga's a thing at the moment, but it wasn't a thing on people's mind at that moment, particularly. Okay, this shows you the distribution of the positive comments, how they're grouped, inspiring and encouraging, raises awareness and um, promotes physical activity with the most popular positive responses. Okay, so this is the, the sort of, the kernel of the talk is, what can we do about the journalism? How can we uh, help journalists understand what the public would actually like? And then going back to my comment before, journalists are working to these clickbait stats. They've got algorithms telling them, this story is really popular, and if we do this story with this headline, it's more popular than the same story with a different headline. They've got all this data, but none of that tells them what is missing from the news. So, although I acknowledge that journalists have a duty to find out the most significant news, and they have commercial pressures and popularity pressures to show what people want to click on, we also need to think about how the journalism could be improved and I think a good place to start is to ask the public and that's why I'm doing this survey. So more truthful. So I think a lot of people think that the media are not telling them the truth and that they're not, um, it's not realistic. And in a separate analysis of responses to The Biggest Loser, we've also found that they felt that the reality show The Biggest Loser in which people compete to lose the most amount of weight they are doing unrealistic interventions. Ex you know, hours and hours of incredibly stressful exercise, dramatic dieting. You, 
unrealistic, not something that ordinary folk could do at home without a lot of support. More ideas to stop it rather than just showing the bad effects. They're sick of being shown the problem, they want to know how to fix it. Less shaming. This is big, you know. I really think that the media are doing a lot of naming and shaming um, or, and, and non-identified shaming and uh, that doesn't help anybody, really it doesn't. And as a partner to the less shaming, there should be more encouragement, um, more nurturing, promoting healthy diet and lifestyle, more educational, more coverage, and here are the others. Um, lose weight or die, more about the person's emotion, emotions. Emotions are very important in journalism today. Um, for example, in Cardiff, Karen Vall Jungensen is doing particular research looking at the importance and the um, application of emotion in journalism. But of course, we've always had human interest as a news value, something that we know is going to appeal to audiences. Um, I think we can leave that for now. So what do you think can be improved? They'd like it to be more truthful, more useful, less shaming, more encouraging. So those are the distribution of those suggested improvements. What can we do about journalism, about inactivity and physical activity? What to do? News you can use. We get a lot of that in the magazines, but not so much in the mainstream media, in my opinion. Uh, more encouragement, more coverage. Um, Josephine Chow, who um, has been leading a series of research looking at physical activity and inactivity in the news, showed that there's much less coverage of physical activity and inactivity than there is of overweight and obesity. They want um, medical context, real stories, um, promoting um, activity, and maybe bring back the exercise shows like the old days. You're all probably too young to remember this, but Jane Fonda used to do aerobics on television in a leotard. And I think a lot of people found it very compelling viewing, probably for a variety of reasons. Um, accurate information, depth of information. Now, TV, of course, news particularly, is very short and it doesn't have that depth that you need, um, which is why I'm a bit mystified that uh, newspapers are not um, getting remaining strong, although uh, President Trump has been apparently vastly improving the subscription rates to reliable news sources. <laughs> well, with a bit of help from those lovely <coughs> Macedonian fake news um, Peddlers don't show obese people, ban shows like The Biggest Loser. They're only there to line their pockets via self-promotion. Um, and I think that's enough of that thing. So that just shows you the distribution proportional of the uh, things to improve physical activity. So useful, encouraging, quantity of coverage, health focus, um, and a variety of other responses. Now, I talked about this slide last time I was here in 2013. These quotes are from the qualitative interviews with 46 members of the public. We aimed for 50, but it was really hard to get very underweight, older people, particularly men. That's why we ended up with 46 instead of 50. And these are some of the things. So they said highlighting obesity is a good idea. If there was no coverage, people would think overweight was the norm, actually. I'm pretty sure we do think overweight is the norm because we know that obesity looks like this. And if you're like this, you can't possibly be seen as obese, even if you are obese at this modest size. Um, coverage was good when done nicely without ridiculing people. So even in that set of qualitative interviews, there's a sensitivity to how the news and current affairs can do it in a sensitive fashion, 
um, or not. Um, on the other side, on the orange ones, you've got judgmental and not sympathetic. Um, obesity picked on because it's visual, I think. A lot of the TV stories, there's a quite amusing um, spoof by Charlie Brooker, which is called How to Report the News. It's not how to report obesity, it's how to report the news. And about 47 seconds it says, and then comes the obligatory shots of very overweight people with their heads chopped off, which just shows you it's become an actual cliche of news. Um, some programs were freak shows aimed to make large people laughing stock. So there's a sensitivity about the downside of the news coverage. Um, come on. So these are the new quotes extracted over the last two days to try and give you some flavour of the kinds of comments that are made in those categories that I've showed you in the, the pie charts and the, the simple little tables. So over on the left, there's people saying that we should show more fatties, um, that we should stop making overweight seem healthy, um, that we should name and shame them. Wow, it's just weird stuff. Um, but my favourite quote is actually the top left-hand corner quote. I can't really think of anything else apart from eating better and becoming more active. So that eat less and move more message, I think it's been incredibly well delivered, even though public health professionals know that actually it's not enough, it doesn't work, we need to do something else. Um, stop saying big and large for using or other obfuscations to avoid making fat people feel bad. They are fat and they should feel bad about it. I am fat and I feel bad about it. So should anyone who is. Like, what is going on here? Now, if you think about um, the way uh, discourse works and how we internalise it, we, um, and this is where the Foucault starts coming in, we, we, we're actually internalising these messages. So if you think your body is a nice shape and you don't see yourself as obese or fat or overweight, then you're more resistant to those messages. But if you identify as overweight or obese, you're absorbing those messages and they're making you feel really bad. And that's not helping with dieting or exercise or going to the gym. You know, who goes to the gym if you're enormous? You know, it's just the, the shame is visceral, it really is. Um, I mean, I do Taekwondo, which I love, and one of the things I love about it is that the uniform covers my body. I may look like a dancing panda, but I feel that I don't have to wear a leotard. Um, and, you know, I go twice a week, and it's probably saving me from premature death. Um, I like this one, too. I love the advertisement about soft drink doing harm to your health, but that's it. I, that's the limit of the messages, the pro-health messages. There's no ads about physical activity. There's no ads about eating healthy. And we're overpowered by fast food giants showing the easy way for dinner. And I think that's so insightful. Um, this is a classic, this summarizes these, the kinds of discrimination against large people. Stop making out that overweight people are just fat, lazy, and gluttonous. Now, I haven't got a quote in here, but there were a couple of people who said, you didn't ask us a question about how our disability affects our ability to eat healthily and be active. And I felt a bit bad about that. But there were plenty of places where they could tell me this, so I will gather that together and make a point of publishing that. Over here on the <clears throat> let's fix the media up a bit side of things, we've got a, a, a clear interest on food corporations and the peddling of sugar. Sugar's very much in the news. I commend to you Robert Lustig's recent 
uh, podcast, and I haven't read his book, but it sounds really interesting. That's L-U-S-T-I-G, um, where he's looking about you know, how the research about sugar has been distorted by industry influence and how, really, we don't need it. It's not really for us. I've written on this topic too, but we'll move on and talk about that later. Okay, up here, there's a, a somebody in our ordinary people answering this survey said about the inequalities, about the unfair distribution of um, weight as an issue. So stress the fact that people who live in less affluence are going to find it hard to buy healthily because of the expense, whereas takeaway is cheap in comparison. Now, there's a lot of um, public health research which shows that if you have a lack of supermarkets and an excess of fast food joints, your suburb is going to have a higher rate of obesity. The numbers are there. Um, use personal stories rather than headless people. Quite a few picked up, people picked up on the headlessness. No headless pictures, be encouraging. Um, this, stop viewing obesity as an individual problem and start viewing it as a societal issue. Finger on the pulse. So people are understanding the problem quite well but they're not getting what they want from the news. Um, provide useful information in an easier to understand way and don't make people feel bad about themselves. Um, and there's quite a few people saying, let's stop advertising fast food. Um, I think that's it for that. So we're getting close to the end of my slides, I think. Yeah, so among my preliminary conclusions, as I said before, the sophisticated data surveillance of audiences show us which existing news is more favoured, clickbait, but it doesn't cover what's missing. Interviews and surveys can show us what types of news and media are valued, what is considered undesirable, and what is missing from the media, as I've discussed. Um, news actors do need to fee factor in media practice and influences. So if you want to change what's going on in, in journalism, you have to work with the media logic and understand it. Uh, there is room to innovate in journalism practice, journalism education, where most of my teaching is, and also in public health media advocacy, which I've been sort of doing for a while now. I just want to add a little bit about uh, something that worries me, and I'll show you the pictures of what worried me. So when I write about the quantity of coverage of a particular problem, I usually try to find some comparisons. So it's no good just saying there are this many stories about overweight and obesity. So I try and put them in context, and here you can see heart disease, obesity, dementia, diabetes, and breast cancer. So obesity is the orange one, and you can see that it's in 2005 and six. This is actually the peak of all the numbers I've ever done on obesity coverage. It peaked in 2006. It's coming down, 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 down. It's still up here on what it was in 2002, not shown in this slide, sorry. But um, what really struck me was that it was all going down. Uh, you know, and digital disruption is shaping, reshaping journalism. And then I popped in cancer because cancer is one of the most um, widely covered health stories. Uh, accidents and health and hospital provision are the other two big ones. Even cancer is coming down. And then I looked at it in comparison with a non-health topic, although of course there are health aspects of the environment. And this shows you that even environmental coverage is falling off. Um, yeah, so just where I'm going in the future is to see how we can innovate in health journalism, how we can uh, make up for this falling off of health and science journalism. And that's a, another story for another day. 
Um, the other thing that I did, and this is an old slide, but I just thought I'd like to pop it in here. One of the things that the respondents to the survey have not said is there should be more interviews with people of size. But when you look at the actual distribution of sources, affected people are here. Journalists and experts are the main um, people uh, interviewed. But look at this, industry, government and politicians. They're getting away with it. So public health says there are all these powerful drivers of overweight and obesity and inactivity, and they are shaped by government, planning, policy, industry, 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 and the journalists are just not interviewing them. Because the way the media logic works, we focus on the individual, we blame the individual, and society and industry get let off the hook. This is some of the analysis from newspaper sources, which shows you that um, the uh, specialists and doctors are the preferred sources. They're the third most preferred in 2000, the first most in 2005, the third most preferred in 2006, and the first. So there are the first or third in all the years we sample. So that's the people we're most likely to interview as journalists. Politicians, only six in 2000, Near the, at the peak, there was 110, but look what happens here. So at the peak, when everybody was paying attention to overweight and obesity, politicians were put on the spot. But guess what? They're back to here, which is less than 2005. They went up and they come down again. And then people of size. We hardly ever hear from large people. And they should not be just interviewed about the issue of overweight and obesity. They should be issue, interviewed about other issues. But they're just not... Um, getting the attention they deserve about a problem which affects them personally. Thank you very much for listening and I'd love to hear your questions. Thank you.